Aljazeera podcast. It's election time in Bosnia. Choose a candidate on Sunday, push the paper in that ballot box and get ready for a brighter future. Yeah, well, no, not in Bosnia. You see, this election is coming after a period of fear that the country is sliding back into war. Hey guys, and welcome to Essential Middle East Podcast. I'm Sami Zaydan. It's kind of complicated to say the least, so I am going to try and oversimplify it. This is it. It's one country with two parts called entities. There's the Muslim Croat Federation and the Bosnian Serb entity called Republika Srpska. Bosnian Serb leader Milorad Dodik, who says a new army will be set up in the Serb-run entity of Republika Srpska, with the Bosnian army forced to withdraw. If necessary, he says the Serbs will call on their friends for help, a presumed reference to Serbia proper and Russia. The Republika Srpska will control its own affairs in a legal, constitutional manner, including by having its own army, judiciary, fiscal administration, as well as intelligence and security agencies. We will re-establish all these institutions. Well, the leader of that Bosnian Serb entity has been talking about breaking away for a while, essentially. That sort of talk, it led to a war and a genocide in the 90s. It was the deadliest European conflict since the Second World War. 100,000 people killed, more than 2 million displaced. Nationalism that led to ethnic cleansing, sexual violence and genocide. Russia's invasion of Ukraine only bolstered fears that Russia might use its good relations with Republika Srpska to encourage conflict as a way of hitting back at NATO. Now that's got European and Turkish diplomacy activated. Muslim, Serb and Croat communities are watching their Turkish, Russian and European allies watch each other in a struggle for influence in this once Ottoman territory. Let's dive into it then with our guest. Hi, I'm Adnan Huskic and I'm a university professor from Sarajevo. Thanks for having me. Let's start from the basics. Three communities looking to change their influence in the upcoming elections. Is that basically one way of looking at these elections? Well, it's certainly one way, but I think it has much more nuances than that. Perhaps the most important distinction from this three peoples who are trying to find a better way of working together or, you know, modus of, of cooperating and working in this country in which they were relatively unsuccessful at least 15 years now. This country is almost completely captured by political elites which are thriving only on conflict, unfortunately, because there is not much really to show in terms of their government's performance. And we're talking about elites on all sides, right? Whether it's the Bosnian Muslim, Bosnian Croats or Bosnian Serb elites, yeah? They're all benefiting from this dysfunctional, complicated system. It's a self-defeating, come to think of it, because the whole model is premised upon having these elites work together to find solutions in the interest of all 
three major communities and the others. But they but perpetuate so fear of each worked. other, right? To keep themselves. That's what they do, right? But that's what they do. Because the problem that we're facing is that we're facing the elites, which are heavily corrupt. And the most important thing is to remain in power at all costs. And that's what they've been very successful at for the past at least 20 years. Is this the worst crisis since 1995, when that Dayton peace accord set up, became the practical constitution of Bosnia and set up this mess? For me, they all represent part of an ongoing problem, which basically started in mid-2000s. From starting with mid-2000, we have the international presence is phasing out in Bosnia, but this ownership transfer was not successful. So we have no longer international element here, which acted previously as a corrective. Let me just break it down. You're talking about something called the Office of the High Representative, who still exists, but you mean he's not intervening as he was before, right? It's only a manifestation. The Office of right. the High Representative is truly just the symbolic pinnacle of international presence in Bosnia. But it was essentially, it was emptied of any substance right now. Its legitimacy is being questioned by Serbs and increasingly Croats. I want to ask you the bottom line, because everybody has been worried, maybe now... A little less, but people have been worried for months, particularly at the time of Russia's in invasion of Ukraine. Everybody mm -hmm. in Bosnia was asking, is there going to be war again? Well, I mean, probably you can't blame people here for feeling threatened by any change in global or regional environment because we are so open to influences from abroad. I guess the scars are still very much present and the trauma of the 90s is still, also thanks to these political elites, which are, you know, keeping this think alive, the threat of the others and revoking the war and what happened during the war and all the suffering in order to create a narrative which is based on the past entirely, which doesn't have a future at all. So all of this combines into, you know, when you put it all together, of course, you're going to get the frustrated population that fears uh, when this happens that something similar will happen in Bosnia once again. But this is wrong. Is it well-founded? No, not at all. All right, so you don't think there's going to be a war? No, I mean, when we talk about the war, I'm not completely dismissing the possibility of Bosnia imploding in itself in, in an institutional sense, reaching a level of entropy which is simply unacceptable. Crumbling down onto itself is what I think I fear. Look at Bosnia, but not all-out war here. Unless, of course, we have upset on the global and regional level, similar to one in 1990s, when a lot of countries disappeared, a lot of borders were redrawn. In this case, I mean, if we're talking about the repetition of the end of the Cold War, if this new reshuffle on a global scene is going to have consequences on this region then at that point i mean nothing is uh, off the table certain anymore so right. yeah i mean we could in those but only under those circumstances can we really contemplate resumption of violence during the war in the 90s some serb leaders were quite vocal in talking about how they see no place in europe for islam for muslims and that of course led to genocide, Srebrenica, the war. Are we hearing that narrative again today? I don't think that the political actors changed their rhetoric a lot. What they were forced to do is to tone down this heavy and intensive international mm. presence in 1996 to 2006, roughly. For these 10 years, they were simply not allowed 
to do that. It would have been dismissed, removed from positions by the high representative. So we had active international involvement that kept local elites in check. As soon as we saw the phase out of international presence, they quickly got back on their feet and simply restarted where they stopped at the end of the war. And yes, the rhetoric is there, but however, the capabilities of these elites to turn into reality what they're promising to do are very limited. But that doesn't mean that we should dismiss it as a simple rhetoric. Far from it, because what we're dealing with here is a situation where they create an environment, an atmosphere that allows for incidents to happen. Mm. We've seen it couple of years back when we had people protesting with arms in front of the mosque in some of the returnees places in Republika Srpska. And this is exactly what I fear when we talk about Bosnia and the security situation, that you're creating a situation where a number of people who are armed in this country, also criminal elements, will see an opportunity to act. All right, let's go back a little bit. The Dayton Peace Agreement, it set up the political system in Bosnia, right? It ended the yeah. war and it gave Bosniak Muslims, Bosnian Croats and Bosnian Serbs basically equal powers. And then yeah. it went and said decision making isn't by simple majority. It has to be by more than two thirds majority. But because these communities don't get along quite often, that yeah. often leads to deadlock rather than progress, right? The system that was installed in 1995 in Dayton is indeed a prototypical power-sharing system. But yes, all those issues such as veto, power of vetoes at different levels are important to restore the trust and confidence, which apparently didn't happen. You know, this is one part of the problem. And so basically these elements that you have become the element of obstruction. First place, then when the governments are formed, they are completely dysfunctional. The last government on the state level is even in Bosnian context, and you have to be really bad to be worst in the Bosnian context, <laughs> is the worst government ever. Why didn't we collapse? This is the right question. I and mean, if you have a dysfunctional government and nothing works, you know, how come we're still functioning here? So decentralization actually allows for lower levels to function properly, but lower levels are actually the ones where most authorities are vested in. So local level cities, and these but have not taken the over brunt of all things. Not right. the national level. That's all why right. our image, image we convey to the outside is the image of dysfunctionality. When you land here, you're going to have a wonderful time. Interesting, interesting. Let's take a quick break now. We'll be right back, though, so don't go too far. Hello, I'm Charles Dance, your narrator for Hindsight, an original podcast by Al Jazeera. In season four, we carry on exploring the lives of history's most notable figures, from Rosa Parks to Pol Pot. We meet the people who changed the way we think about our world and those who left it marked by their infamy. Hindsight from Al Jazeera, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, welcome back, guys. Now, let's talk a little bit about the different visions that each of these communities have about what the solution is, how to move forward. Muslims mm -hmm. are the largest group in the country, and they say, forget these entities, let's just have one strong national government with simple majority rule to overcome the deadlock, as you would have in any country. Majority makes the rules. Basically, that's mm -hmm. what Bosnian Muslims want. 
That's what strategy boils down to, whether they really truly are committed, whether they really want to see this happening, because when you look at the way they function, how they work with the other two elites, you have a situation where on the level of where they should cooperate, right, the visible manifestation of politics, there is a tug of war between them. And then when you look at the operational level and the government appointments, control of public procurement, this is where they back each other up. All the time, regardless of the conflict, when it comes to appointments that need more than one ethnic group to be effective, when it comes to awarding public procurement contracts. So they can cut deals if it helps their party out, basically. They, then they can over... No, I think it's, if it helps only a small echelon within the party. There is a ruling elite here that is a problem, and the ruling elite cooperates perfectly and flawlessly with one another on this level. All right, going back to the bigger sort of level of vision of these communities then, the Bosnian Serbs kind of want to move in the different opposite direction. And they mm -hmm. want to give the entities more power than the national yeah. government, right? Or, you know, going beyond that, declare independence. So basically, it's Complete kind of secession. a semi-independence irredentist movement and then join Serbia eventually. All right. Then you so got the Bosnian... That would be the... Mm -hmm. Yes. Then you got the Bosnian Krats. They see their numbers declining in Bosnia. And now they're talking mm -hmm. about, well, we want more powers rather than sharing powers in a federation with Muslims. Let's have a little more powers a la the Bosnian Serbs and maybe choose the... Bosnian Croat president, we choose him alone without the Muslims also voting and stuff like that. Yeah, that's basically what's yeah. happening. They are opting for more emphasis to be placed upon the rights of the peoples and the proper introduction of the system of parity, which means one third of all positions, and to make sure that the Croats elect their own member of presidency, which was not the case. And so far in three iteration of the elections, all right. And then am I crazy here or is it safe to assume that none of these questions, none of these visions are actually going to be sorted out in these elections? We're going to have another kind of deal that just keeps the paralysis, the status quo. Depends on the result. I'm not expecting anything huge to change after the 2nd of October, but even small changes, incremental changes in the setup of the governing coalitions could move things in a completely different direction. When I say completely different direction... We're talking about this like it's just in the hands of Bosnian Muslims, Croats and Serbs. That's not the reality, though, right? Everyone knows that what happens next really depends on the appetite of international powers, right? Yeah. Unlike yeah. most countries, the ultimate authority in Bosnia is not the government, but a figure called the high representative who comes from the EU, at least on paper. That is the situation indeed. There has always been, Bosnia was designed from the start as a country where you have the outside levers and, you know, which allows international actors to actively steer elements of political system in Bosnia. So yes, the high representative is the embodiment of this presence. Now not so clear anymore what he does, whether there he's enjoying the backing of even Western countries or not. But there is definitely a split in terms of there is no more homogeneity over as far as the international community at large is concerned when it comes to Bosnia. China and Russia are on one side, the rest of the Western countries on the other side. Side, plus there are some reluctant Western countries when it comes to further 
active international involvement, United States is on the side of its own. And we can't forget Turkey, of course, right? Turkey also has interest in the region. No, we can't. I mean, usually we put them in this group of new and emerging actors. I mean, no longer new, but definitely emerging alternative or non-Western actors, Russia, China, Turkey, but also Gulf states. So all of as these well. are being debated. And yes, they have right. influence on the political dynamics in Bosnia. That's why. Right. On the other hand, you have Russia, which has been a long-time ally for the Bosnian Serbs, right? Putin mm-hmm, met Dodik, mm-hmm. Russia supports Republika Srpska. Does Russia see an opportunity to create a bit of a headache for NATO, for the EU, in Bosnia? Russia is content with preserving the situation as is, I mean, preserving the status quo. What they would like to see, and this is where Russia was actually on the same side as the rest of international community in early 2000s, is they wanted to abolish the office of the high representative, transfer ownership to the local elites, the domestic elites, and that would be the end of international involvement in Bosnia. Why is Russia so much trying to stick to these things? Because most of the elements that were installed in Bosnia, including the peace deal itself, is actually happened at the time when Russia was either completely weak or Russia was completely impotent in international sense. So basically, this is, in a way, a reminder of the time when West dominated the international affairs so much so. Now, meanwhile, the situation changed, right? The West and Russia, and especially since February this year, they are no longer considered even potential partner in Bosnia. But clearly an enemy, someone to be very wary of. So you have a situation where Russian influence, even though unwelcome or not seen favorably by the West, is being used here. But I think it's much more the question of demand side here than is the question of Russian interest in this country. Serbia is something else. But even in Serbia, they're kind of losing ground that they had thanks Mm. to the war in Ukraine and the aggression. This is clear now. But what Dodik is doing is something that he is paying hefty price for. Just explain to listeners, Milorad Dodik is the leader of the Bosnian Serb entity Mm -hmm. of Bosnia. All right, sorry. Just want to make sure we don't get lost here. Sure. The way it started is, you know, and, and I really have to go back to this so that people can actually understand the nature Briefly, of Russian presence here. 2006. 2006 was the time when the first contact between Republika Srpska and the Russian Federation began in earnest. And it coincides with the privatization of the oil industry of Republika Srpska. And that's it. It was basically given away. It was sold to Russians, but also to a conglomerate of different legal entities of which we know nothing. So basically the money is being extracted from Republika Srpska. What I'm saying is that Republika Srpska is paying for Russian support, but Russian support boils down to, yes, meeting him ahead of elections for 15 minutes. Right now, I assume that Putin's schedule is not so full as before, right? Enter Turkey. It has historical links to the region. Much of the Mm -hmm. Balkans was part of the Ottoman Empire. They've got cultural and religious links to Muslim communities in Bosnia, all throughout Mm -hmm. the Balkans. What does Turkey want? Turkish influence here, I've seen through three different periods, roughly, you know, and that's the period of previous foreign minister who was basically orchestrating or trying to use the Turkish economic leverage and free trade agreements in the region here Mm. to foster some changes. And then he organized trilateral meetings between Croatia, Bosnia and Turkey, Serbia, Bosnia and Turkey. And it actually moved some things forward. And ever since Erdogan became 
what he is today. I mean, it was reduced to relations with with the major Bosniak party, not even with that, but with the current elite of the major Bosniak party. No more Turkish-Bosnian relations, right? I mean, the last time he came here was in the campaign in September. And of course, he met with SDA members, among other, Bakir Zedbegovic, the son of late President Alia Zedbegovic. But, and he came with investors, but the bottom line is there is no there's really nothing came out of all this because nobody reinvests in Bosnia. I have to say Turkey compensates in terms of providing generous aid to Bosnia via Turkish development agency, TIKA. And there you see the difference. But other than that, I don't think that Turkey has any plan, support any plan. So yeah. does Turkey see at the very least that the struggle now between Russia and the West gives Turkey even more of an opportunity to try and expand its role in the Balkans? I think Turkey plays an interesting role right now between Ukraine and Russia. There is a lot of potential there to be used for kind of a backdoor diplomacy, which Turkey is definitely utilizing. But that hasn't really changed any Turkish anything in terms of Turkish approach to Bosnia or All right. the region. You know, or at least the, I haven't the, seen it. The power that we haven't spoken about, the US. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, the architects of the Dayton peace accord, yeah. once the real guys who called the last shots... They kind of withdrew and left it for Europe now and said, you guys sort this out. I guess we belong to this kind of mid-level management in the State Department. Desk officers are dealing with that. The U.S.'s mind is elsewhere. Definitely not here in the region. However, they are devoting some energy to trying to steer things in the right direction. I think that we, in a way, not insulted really, but disappointed Americans in 2006. So-called April package in 2006 was defeated in the parliament, mainly by Bosniak defectors from the major Bosniak parties. And I think that the Americans, you know, it was their project that they were insulted to some extent. That's when they basically said, okay, we're turning away from you guys. You do your own thing. You are just going to keep our security eye on you. But other than that, nothing else. That's what the U.S. influence, Mm. U.S. impact was boiling down to for all these years. Right now, they're trying to push something, right? And they're being once again accused by the Bosniaks of plotting against them. Maybe if I can call it that, is it leaving some room for Middle Eastern countries to expand their influence into Bosnia? Definitely there is an important aspect of attraction that Bosnia has in the Gulf when it comes to tourist potential. Bosnia is a green country, you have a lot of water and rivers. And Does it end there, Adnan, or is there some political interest and political ambition on the part of Middle Eastern countries for I mean, it depends really on the country. We used to have a strong Saudi influence here, which mm. came as a result of that American, we walk hand in hand thing, even though we know that you guys are doing bad things, but you're part of our broader form policy thing and they were trying to exercise a lot of influence here other than that we have had Iranian influence and there is some attraction to it ever since the Iranian revolution the way how the Bosniak in particular Bosniak intellectuals were observing the first kind of Islamic revolution in the world and but other than that it's very sporadic we have very very small footprint for instance of United Arab Emirates in in Bosnia and then you have relatively large footprint in Serbia so it's really difficult to tell but we have Al Jazeera Balkans right 
right? So they are different. There are really different dimensions to it. But I don't think that any of the countries are observing from the Gulf in particular. I don't think that any of them observing Bosnia as a major it's not the uh, priority. point it's in not their, in the their considerations. Right. No, not at all. Adnan, this has been a fantastic chat. And you know what? Whatever you say, I think we have succeeded in one thing. I think we've been able to break down and make it simple and easy to follow and understand. And if nothing else, that's a great achievement for the Balkans. <laughs> Thanks. Well, Adnan. indeed it is. Indeed it is. <laughs> and thank you for listening. This episode was produced by Khaled Sultan, research done by our intern, Nada Shakir, and the sound design was by George Elwir. Our engagement team is led by producer Ayal Malik and assistant engagement producer Munira Dosari. And our executive producer is Omar Saleh. Nayal Vares is head of audio. I'm your host, Sami Zaydan. Thanks for joining us. 